I'm Julie. I'm Kristen. I'm Kate. And welcome to Topical Island. Each week, one of us will deep dive into a topic that interests us. Have you ever wondered how to become a Disney princess? Is diva behavior acceptable? And what does it have to do with the opera? Will we get to work from home forever, ever? Join us as we answer these questions and more. As each week, we will take you to a different topical island. Hello, everyone. Hello, ladies. Hello, island hoppers. Welcome back. We are getting back from our break, and I can't wait to hear you how you are doing. Kate, let's start with you. What have you been up to? Well, I just want to I feel like I've been up to a lot I haven't talked to you guys in ages um but I want you to I want to tell you both to mark your calendars you should have already seen it and you should be aware because you are both part of my race committee (laughs) (laughs) mark your calendars October 2nd I'm telling this to all of our listeners as well we're putting on the second annual in fact I believe you need to have at least three before you're allowed to start calling it annual but we did it last year we're doing it again this year the RET run, R-E-T-T run, um, will be October 2nd in person. There will also be a virtual option. So awesome. fantastic. It's so exciting. I know. I'm so excited. So there have been lots of wheels turning in the background, and I can't wait to uh, bring you ladies up to speed when we have our first meeting, not on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and a- action item number one. Will you take the minutes for this? Sure. <laughs> Um, can you just I feel like we just need to do a brag like how you raised quite a bit last year what was our total last year the total last year was twelve thousand and forty five dollars and I was expecting to kind of put it out to friends and family do this charitable run maybe do you know a grand or two and it just got blown out of the water people really blew me away with their support in donating and participating and it was an unbelievable it was an unbelievable experience there will be obviously lots of info to come but for our listeners who are unaware check out theretrun.com or follow it on instagram and that's about it amazing cool so exciting so exciting mm-hmm. and and kristen do you have an update for us yeah so i actually my my happy news is going to be something that at the end of the podcast is something that uh, is basically engulfing my entire life at the moment. So it's hard to say, but I will say that I, I finished a binge, which was Jane the Virgin. Have you guys watched the show? No. No. And I am very hesitant, but people keep telling me it's good. (laughs) And it's been around forever. I know. And I don't know how I started. Oh, yeah. Someone was telling me about it. But um, it definitely took me like a season to like not hate the main character. But it's like because you realize it's kind of it's almost like a superhero movie where it's like there's very clear like good morals and bad morals. And but like because it's like based around like telenovelas of like Spanish telenovelas and stuff like that. So it's, it's really cool, but it's one of those things where, you know, when you really get into something and it's like, yeah, like it's been around forever. I think they have like five seasons, like very long seasons. And so now, you know, when you're at the end and you're just like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't have to do anymore. I've been, this has been occupying most of my evening. So it's just like, you know, but in fact, what was I doing before this? Yeah. <laughs> What's before Jane? What's sitting before in a chair, staring at a wall? Yeah. You start having an existential crisis because you don't know who you were without Jane the Virgin. Exactly. I don't remember life before it, but uh, that's kind of, yeah, that's my entertainment news for sure. Nice. How about you, Julie? You have, you've had some exciting weeks. I have. We were very fortunate to be able to get away um, as a family. My husband's an educator, so he has the whole summer off. So um, we kind of took advantage of that and took a couple weeks away. And it was just nice. You know, if you are able to get together with family these days, it's really kind of a treat. And now we're into fall mode because my tiny baby girl is headed off to kindergarten in two weeks. And I can't even believe it. And it's just like, it's a big thing. And it's going to be quite the return, um, return to, you know, school and work. Um, Obviously, with so many people being able to work from home, some of that is starting to change. Some of that is not changing. But uh, yeah, we got the notice from the schools today that they will be for sure in person, um, but with certain um, cautions in place this year, very similar to last year. Yeah. And it's just crazy that she's five and she's off to kindergarten and, you know, swimming lessons start and gymnastics and all the great fun stuff that I'm so excited for her. But at the same time, I'm a little sad that she is that big now. She's that big that at her swimming lessons yesterday, I wasn't there, but she dove down and picked up rings from the bottom of the pool. Oh Oh my gosh. I feel like I was like 18 before I (laughs) I know. I couldn't believe it. And, um, I think I was doing that eyes under the open under I the know. water routine yeah. at that age. Well, like my goodness, you know, we were at the lake a couple weeks ago, and she wouldn't put her mouth in to blow bubbles, and now she's diving in and grabbing rings. It's little people are crazy because they're just so open to new experiences, and and once they have a little bit of independence and can lean into that, they can do all these amazing things. It's pretty cool. So that's my my update, my mama bear update. But I can't wait to get into it. Kate, where are you taking us today? First of all, I just want to say that this is by far the topic that I had the most fun looking into. Oh, awesome. I think of, I get to think of and have never really looked into it every year at Christmas when I Mm -hmm. decide to do my annual gift giving, which is I always make a huge batch of antipasto and I can it. And ever since I started canning, I have always, my my last thought before it goes out the door, and I'm overly cautious in how I prepare the food and can it, but my last thought as I hand over a nicely wrapped gift of canned goods is, God, I hope that doesn't have botulism in it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I want to talk about botulism. Okay. I know you both have done some canning. Julie, you can stuff from your garden. I've received canned goods from both of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I am I was very pleasantly just surprised to find out how little it occurs. But I was also extremely naive in the thought of giving somebody botulism. I was just like, oh, it's like severe food poisoning. And it is not. <laughs> yeah. 
It is. Yeah. I, you know, I'm with you. I, there's, um, you can actually take a master canning class and I've, I've thought about it, even though I don't do that much canning, but, um, oh man, it's, I am with you. It freaks me out that you could be giving somebody some <laughs> like spores of what is a deadly. Now, is it, if I, I tell us more, like, is it a bacteria? Is it a virus? Yeah. So what is it? It's the results of a toxin produced by the bacteria, um, oh, okay. Clostridium botulinum. The bacteria thrives in um, environments with zero oxygen. So when you suck all of the air or when you can something and it's got no oxygen in it, that's the environment in which the bacteria thrives. That doesn't necessarily mean that it will produce the toxin. Okay. But there's, it's just, it, it can, canning food can make perfect breeding ground for that particular bacterium. Botulism, the toxic, the toxin, sorry, that it produces is the most potent toxin that we know of on earth. Oh. That humans geez. have discovered. And so let me take you on a journey on how this extremely potent toxin relates not only to my annual gift giving, um, <laughs> but the fact that my daughter has had eye surgery and how it plays into strabismus repair. Oh, okay. Wait, sorry, just you, your daughter didn't ingest botulism. No. Okay, 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 <laughs> okay, I, okay. Okay. No, I mean, she's, she's drawing, she's drawing a pair or like a, a spread. Okay, okay, okay. So, Let's start with the terrifying, which is what happens to you when you get botulism. So when you are exposed to botulism, and we'll get to how you can get it, but what happens? The effects are a descending paralysis, bilateral and symmetrical. So it starts at the top um, and works its way down. You would experience blurred vision, droopy eyelids, slurred speech, dry mouth, Paralysis of your neck, arms, legs. Constipation is often a side effect because your gut muscles can't contract. And if it gets to the point where it's going to cause death, the most often um, cause of death is uh, respiratory arrest because the muscles that control your breathing stop. Can you tell us how long that takes? It absolutely depends on the dosage okay. that you're exposed to which is what I had oh. written next. Look at that. Oh. Timing of this depends on the dosage that you're exposed to, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> However, it is at least my worst nightmare. I thought being buried, well, it's, it's not unlike being buried alive okay. because there is no effect on your sensory and intellectual functions. And so you are 100% conscious while this is happening, as well as, you do not show any signs of your respiratory distress because there is no gasping for air. Your body can't thrash around. You have no way of showing the outside world what's happening to you. And so the only way to know that you are not getting enough oxygen is to actually be hooked up to a machine. Is there like, is it like you said at the beginning, you're like, maybe I'm giving someone the worst food poisoning or whatever. Like, so it, is this always the, like, this is the impact of botulism? No matter how you get it. How, let's talk about how you can get it. So we talked about um, food poisoning, which I feel is um, kind of maybe the most commonly known or, mm -hmm. but 
Um, wound botulism. So if the bacteria front is out in the environment and it gets into um, a wound of yours and it festers, the toxin can be created within your own body. And then the actually the most common way is infant botulism, which is when babies basically eat honey yeah. under the age of 12 months, they don't have the gut maturity to deal with the bacteria spores in it. And it's not a matter of how the honey was canned or prepared or anything like that. It's just that honey naturally has a ton of spores in it. So do not feed your baby honey. Unpasteurized honey, correct? I would go with any type of honey because I also read that some it's sometimes not only that bringing it to a certain temperature, a certain temperature can kill the bacteria but not always the spores. If those have already been created. Oh, wow. I'm more confident in giving an infant my antipasto. <laughs> no, and, and I know that when we receive our honey, um, we get it from people who keep bees. And every time it's like, you don't have an infant, right? Do not let this near an infant. Oh, like there's always a wow. big yeah. warning that goes with it. Yeah. Oh, that is so sad that that's the most common. It, it, it really is. But to answer your question, Kristen, no matter how that happens, so say you get a cut on your leg and that's how yeah. how the wound botulism happens, it's always going to start from your head down. Mm. You can also inhale it, which is very uncommon. And then, of course, it can be injected. Ah, now that can be by design, correct? Well, do you want to talk about the history? Yeah, I do. <laughs> it can absolutely be by design. So the effects of botulism were first recorded in Europe in 1735 because of an incident in which a large group of people fell ill and they suspected the source being associated with a potluck involving sausage. So the sausage wasn't preserved properly. Oh boy. It was named after that and the Latin from the Latin word for sausage, which is botulus. Oh, hilarious. Mm-hmm. In the early 1800s, a German doctor... Kerner suggested that if isolated, there may be a way of using this for therapeutic purposes. And so he recorded this nearly 150 years before his time, like that it would wow. be 150 years before people were like, hey, he might have been onto something. But why, what was his, how did he know that? He was studying the effects of the the toxin that was, I'm not sure, I don't think they had isolated the toxin from the bacteria, but he- oh, okay studying the effects of the symptoms, which is a paralysis, uh, he had suggested it could help with uh, seizures, like basically anything, oh, okay. like helping with any muscles that were involuntary contractions. Right. Um, Interesting. And so he had mentioned it in his works in the early 1800s. Right. Ooh. In 19, it was in 1920 that Herman's, Dr. Herman Summer was the first to isolate the toxin. And several nations produced botulism toxins to be used as a bioweapon in World War II. Oh. However, uh, nothing was ever reportedly used in combat. Oh, creepy. That is creepy. And isn't it funny that the first thing, as soon as they're able to isolate something so potent. It's like a weapon. Weapon. Yeah. Hey, let's try this. What can we use this for good? Or how do we avoid this? And the other half is like, <laughs> kill people with this on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> And like I said, the it's the most potent toxin that we know of. The amount that it would take to wipe out humankind, like the to wipe out the planet, 
is uh, 40 grams of the isolated oh toxin. Oh, my God. Which is, I've heard that compared to a uh, half a cup of coffee beans. Like a pigeon could carry this. Yeah. Ah, we've mentioned, we've thrown back to like at least three other episodes already. <laughs> Oh, wow. 40 grams. That's that's wild. It is. So in the 1970s, it was finally put to use for treatment purposes. The first trial of the toxin being used on people with strabismus. Oh, interesting. Cross eyes, which is what Tenley had. And so they were using it, obviously in minuscule doses, to help relax the muscles of the eye that were pulling one way more than the other. Can you so, imagine being part of that clinical trial? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so scary. It would be, especially because cross-eyed is such an aesthetic thing and it's not like. Right. You know, I hope they did it on a rat first. Seriously. Well, I would like to say, <laughs> I'm sure they did. Hoping. <laughs> did. I'm just kidding. I Justice for rats. <laughs> So it was widely used by ophthalmologists. In 1987, an ophthalmologist had been injecting one of her patients with the toxin to treat abnormal blinking. Okay. When this patient just happened to comment on the effects that it had on the wrinkles around her eyes. So the doctor, the ophthalmologist, then went home and mentioned it to her husband, I assume over dinner. And her husband happened to be a dermatologist. Oh, perfect. Enter the invention of Botox, which oh I did not God. know. I mean, for years I had heard of Botox. I had no idea that it was short for botulinum toxin. And so that from the most potent toxin on the planet, that is how Botox was invented and was sorry it wasn't invented but came to be used as one of the most commonly non-invasive plastics it's not, would it be considered a plastic surgery it's not no it's not considered a plastic surgery because you don't go under beauty the treatment or injection or yeah aesthetic upgrade i don't know <laughs> i'll just throw words out there aesthetic upgrade let's say but what i love bringing it back to the connection so tenley has never had botox my daughter has never been injected with botox i, I was gonna say she's looking a little old but <laughs> i mean i just but but when she came out of her eye surgery she looked <laughs> at least two years younger like a fresh-faced two-year-old <laughs> Her strabismus was corrected with just with a simple surgery. However, what I do love about the connection between strabismus and Botox is that I have a friend who's a nurse and worked in the pediatric um, ophthalmologist, worked with pediatric ophthalmologists. And so when mm -hmm. Tenley was having eye surgery, she was just asking who her surgeon was. And so I told her. And she said, oh, he's lovely. You know, he's also the one that gives all the nurses Botox in his spare time. <laughs> <laughs> now, and I understand that you it's you don't have to be an ophthalmologist to get your hands on Botox or, um, um, you know, dentists can get. Yeah, that's very yeah, popular my dentist now. Does, my dentist does. Yeah, yeah. very popular Botox. dentist office. There are lots of different people who are licensed to do it. I just thought that bring this story full circle. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> and that's uh, botulism. Okay, so, well, here's what I need to know. Like, mm -hmm. how can I avoid getting it in canning? You mentioned that sometimes the heat will kill the bacteria, oh, yeah. but not the spores. Like, 
what else can I do? Is it like, I know that the acidity can play a role. Yes. And so Julie, you've actually said this to me before when I first started out canning is that always follow a recipe because you cannot just can anything. No. That's not a thing. You can't just throw a bunch of stuff in a jar <laughs> and then call it canned goods. <laughs> so, um, always follow a recipe and like look into how to can, like do it properly. Um, I have always, I was so nervous about not doing it properly that I feel like I just kind of was overly safe and I'm, and I'm every year I do it, I am still overly safe. Yeah. I reread the directions. I never assume that I know what comes next and like, right. Yeah. yeah I am not my grandmother on her farm, keeping everything in the cellar and she's just, you know, it, there's no, like, I'm not that person. So I don't have it like the, on the back of my hand. I, I think that's some, and pardon, pardon all the grandmothers with sellers out there, but sometimes I think that can be the most dangerous is when there's like a complacency or you're following like chicken scratch recipe, or, you know, you're not doing the water bath or you're like, I, I don't know. Sometimes I actually get more nervous with those. Oh, my grandmother's made this like for years and then, um, but it's not a tested recipe like that makes me nervous truthfully how do you well two things I guess one is how do I avoid getting botulism and number two is how common is it now because it's so severe it's a recordable disease and so if you were to show up at a hospital um, they would report it to the higher authority, like the, the whoever, the who, right, or, or the, the CDC, or whoever the Canadian equivalent was. So, in terms of numbers, I couldn't find Canada. And in fact, mm -hmm. the recent stats I could find um, from the CDC were in 2017. But about 170 people in the U.S. were reported as to having botulism. And we do have an there is an antitoxin that you can receive once it's discovered that that's what's happening. Oh, okay. However, it doesn't reverse the effects. So oh. similar to how Botox works in that it will paralyze the muscles that it's injected into because it's injected into um, such a uh, concentrated spot and at the tiniest of, I guess, concentration of toxin. And so that will paralyze the muscles, but it wears off eventually. So you do have to wait for it to wear off, wow. which depending again on the dosage, you would receive the antitoxin. But if it had gotten to the point where you, your lungs weren't working or your esophagus was collapsing, you would have to be held on life support until it just wore off. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. And in that 170, I believe 70% of it was infant botulism, which is also known as floppy baby syndrome, oh. because that's what happens. Fortunately, because of the antitoxin, it's relatively uncommon that it leads to, to death. Wow. Now, if you were watching somebody ingest one of your pickles, and then, <laughs> and then, like, with... Could you visually see as they're like, as you know, it might even look like they're having a stroke as the paralysis kind of took over? Except it would be an equal, equally, an equally oh. symmetrical stroke because it would happen at the same time. 
Yeah, it wouldn't be like a I stroke. Like that Gaviscon man, like with the stomach. Pew. Yeah. When you start acid down, it happens like that. So it's completely symmetrical and it goes from top to bottom. Okay. So the eyes would get droopy. So if they start to droop and they then maybe start to slur their speech, but you know, pickle in hand, you want to get them to a hospital. hospital. Yeah. Oh my word. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. So terrifying, never used as a bioweapon, <laughs> and millions of women now use it to help their wrinkles. Well, and men, I, have you seen Simon Cowell lately? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other usage I've heard it for is to have it injected in your armpits to stop yes, sweating. It help. So it helps with, it can also be prescribed for headaches and right. sweating. So if you overly sweat, because I believe I mentioned one of the symptoms was um, like you get severely dried out because um, because of those things that make you either salivate or sweat, all of those mechanisms kind of shut down. And so again, with a minuscule amount to be injected into your armpits, it would dry you up. It would stop you from from sweating as much. Okay. I'm assuming that that would also like the face Botox wear off. So you'd have to go back every so often. Right. Interesting. I think, and sorry, what was the year for the first guy who was like, Hmm, we might be able to use this. Amazing. Dr. Kerner. And he was the, I believe he was the first person. So he had suggested it. That's the only thing I wrote down for therapeutic purposes, but he was also the first person to like really dedicate his life to studying like, the cause and the symptoms and and all of that stuff. It's interesting though, because we, we mentioned canning, but obviously it can happen in sausage or any kind of anything like in any food. Yeah. However, now that I'm thinking back, I have, for some reason, I had a feeling that the sausages were canned. Oh, maybe they could have been like a cocktail weenie gets canned. Yeah, the majority of my information came from an extremely smart podcast called This Podcast Will Kill You. It is my absolute, it's one of my absolute favorites. If you would like to hear two doctors talk about this, like they know what they're talking about, uh, I highly recommend the whole podcast, but mostly their episode on botulism. Awesome. I'll link it. I'll link it in the show notes. No, I mean, we'll share everything in the show notes, but we'll definitely put a Put a link to that. I mean, it's a huge podcast. They don't need me singing their praises. But, um, <laughs> that's where I got most of my information. So I'd have to re-listen. <laughs> I love it. Um, and it will make me think, well, I already, already stress both when I eat canned goods and when I share canned goods. Thank you for that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So you're probably okay as long as you're not an infant. I know. Julie. Keep honey away from babies is what I heard. That was the big, big red flag I heard with that one. Well, thank you, Kate. That was enlightening, albeit somewhat frightening. Good to keep in the back of our minds. But I'm going to turn it over to Kristen. And I don't know if we even want to call this good news. It's greater, greater than good news to share with us this week. Yeah. So this is, this starts out as not good news, but it turns into really cool, interesting, amazing news that I might never have to do my good news segment again. Cause I've just, I've just good. trumped it all, but um, all the good. 
taking up all the good. But um, so last, so just in case any island hoppers were really disappointed, we were supposed to be back this past week, or I guess it's for us now it's tomorrow, but for you it's last Thursday anyways. <laughs> um, but I had quite an incident in my family. So um, last Sunday I was doing my first, one of my cemetery tours and I got a text message from my mom and she said, call me before you come for dinner. And so I always go to my parents' house on Sunday for dinner. We have dinner with my mom, my dad, my brother. And my mom would normally say something like, but it's okay. But she didn't say that. So I was like, oh, no. And uh, and she called. She's like, your brother's in the hospital. He was out for a run today. And um, and I was thinking, oh, my God, did he, like, fall and, like, break his arm or whatever? But um, he actually was born with a heart murmur. And so he collapsed while running. He was running, actually, for anyone who's in Calgary, he was running along the Elbow River by the Safeway and Mission and just completely collapsed. So that was all I knew. And then kind of slowly, he was in emergency and everything. Slowly, some information started coming out that he um, had fully collapsed, but he had been given CPR by a physician who had seen him fall. Oh, my goodness. But further to that, the some nurse said, well, that might be the doctor who gives you surgery. Cause my brother actually has like a problem with one of his valves. And what actually happened was he, so he was running on the side of the road and collapsed. And like, he has, he has a scrapes on his face on like the outside of his arms. Like, you know, when he, like, you can tell he didn't try to catch right. himself. Like he literally right. just like lost consciousness. Uh, a cardiac surgeon was driving down the road with his wife. His wife saw him fall and said that, kid or that person fell they're not getting up and he actually they pulled over and he went out and this cardiac surgeon administered cpr on my brother oh my god like if there wasn't divine intervention in that moment i don't know what is like what are like i you don't even want to guess what the chances are at that because I know exactly. And he actually, so he actually went into cardiac arrest. His heart actually did stop. And so absolutely like, you know, he was lucky he was in public, let alone seen by a health professional, let alone a cardiac surgeon. And so we're, it's just an absolute miracle. Oh my goodness. And that is the person who, my brother needed a valve transplant and that gentleman actually ended up performing that surgery. Get out. Yeah. This is one of those stories that's like, you're not going to believe it because I feel like something like that happened to a cross-country skier. Was it the same cardiac? (laughs) (laughs) Well, oddly enough, no, no, oddly enough, I, so I actually had done, because of my profession, I work in fundraising, I had worked with the organization that, and I had not heard this man's name, so I Googled him, and he actually did the same thing. There was a guy who had a heart attack, I think. Uh, at Grassy Lakes, like in Kananaskis. And he actually saved him because he came across him. This is the second time? (laughs) Yes, I remember seeing that story on the news. Yeah. That is absolutely incredible. Like, is this guy just know where to be? Like, what? I know. I cannot believe that. I know. It's absolutely amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. So my brother's fine. He had, I mean, he's had an open heart surgery, so he's recovering. He's doing really well. I'm so grateful. I love him so, so much. He's also an island hopper, although I did guilt trip him. He's not caught up on the podcast. I was like, you were in the hospital all that time and you're not caught up. 
I did culture Moana. <laughs> but that's just for him. That's for him. But um, yeah, so he, uh, so yeah, so, uh, so the one thing I will say is that this heart surgeon is like really big on CPR. So of course he did a great job, but he actually volunteers teaching CPR with the Heart and Stork Foundation. Wow. And so he's a huge proponent of everyone knowing CPR. So I certainly am going to take a course and knowing that, I mean, it could be any one of us who could help somebody. And Julie, I feel like you must know CPR. I, you know what I do? And you know what's interesting is as you're saying that, um, every time yeah. I take it, I notice that there's less and less focus on the CPR and more and more focus on the defibrillators because those are becoming more and more available, which is great. Oh. But yeah, what a great reminder that this this is a skill we should all have and keep up to date with in you know in our in our arsenal. Wow. And taking the time to do a one or two day course can give you yeah. the knowledge and ability to be the defibrillator if you're in the middle of nowhere or you're you know yeah. outside yeah. of Safeway or at Grassy Lakes. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it's quite the, it's quite incredible. And regardless of, you know, it's a miracle. I mean, that's obviously, there's not much to be learned from that. Cause how do you know to be, be at the right place at the right time? But I think certainly the lesson could be get your CPR training. Get your CPR. <laughs> and wow, this particular cardiac surgeon should like, I don't know, start a church. Like, I don't know what he needs. Like he's just... <laughs> is is he gone <laughs> yeah he, it's very possible yeah like, uh, uh, I feel like he's at least got some pull on the yeah <laughs> in the, the cosmic realm he has he's got a place in it that is i'm so yeah, yeah, so really. thankful um so thankful god and wow. so 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 happy to hear that your brother's doing well we're very yeah. happy to hear that he's uh yeah doing well and obviously now has, uh, you know, a little bit of time to catch up on some episodes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Talk about a good news story. Oh, my word. Like, there's no better, no better news. Did you find what you were looking for? 